from Real Ghost Stories Online.com. It's another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony Bruski along with Jenny Bruski. Welcome to another episode of our little radio program. Thank you so much for joining us. iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever it may be. Thank you so much. Press that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Seriously, if you're here right now, you're wanting some good more ghost shows, hit subscribe. Plenty of ghost shows coming your way. Uh, also, be sure to tell a friend about us. Give us some stars there on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube. That helps us uh, spread the word. Other folks find out about us. More ghost stories come in. More shows for you. Better episodes. That's what it is all about. Yeah. Ready for another uh, exciting adventure of the paranormal? Always, yes. So now that you've been doing the show with the, with me for, I don't even know how many episodes we've done together, quite a few, are, do you have the, uh, how do you feel about ghosts? I should just ask you that. Let me just show you, give you that blanket question. When you, what did you feel about ghost stories when you started hearing these on the show? And, and how do you feel about them now that you've had about 10, 15 episodes to absorb all these stories. Well, what most people probably, well, nobody knows, is that I never listened to your show until I started co-hosting with you. Yeah, you were afraid to listen. I was. And the reason is, is because I believe in ghosts. I've had a number of experiences, and I just figured it would be something I couldn't unhear, (laughs) and it might mess with me. So I was afraid to, and then you talked me into it. I still feel the same about ghosts and everything. I'm just a little more educated. So now, instead of thinking every ghost might be, there might be a chance of it being a happy or a nice ghost, I wonder always now, is it a demonic entity? Do you um, have more questions now than you did before about the paranormal? Because that, that's how I feel compared to how I felt before doing this show. I mean, I, I had like certain ideas about what some of these things were, but, uh, you know, it, it just doing this show made me start to ask so many more questions and made me so much more confused on the topic than I, I was before I started to do it. Yeah, and I honestly thought I was fairly educated on the topic. I really, yeah. I mean, so did I. One of my high school research projects, I think I was a sophomore. I, we could choose any project we wanted, and so I chose ghosts. And mm-hmm. I talked about different kinds of ghosts, but I didn't even scratch the surface of what I've learned from just doing the show and hearing these stories. Yeah. I, I have a ton more questions. Sure, and and every week that's kind of how this show goes. If this is the first time that you're joining us. Um, we welcome you, and that's kind of how you end up feeling. You have more questions, I think, than answers. But that's kind of the fun part of uh, of our show, Real Ghost Stories Online. You're invited to call in and share your ghost stories. Phone number is 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Calling about 10 minutes straight to sit there and rattle off your ghost story. We would absolutely love to hear it. Or if you're more of the writing type, go to our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Click on the Tell Us Your Ghost Story button. And you can tell us your personal ghost story right there. We would absolutely love to hear your ghost story. Let's go to a caller uh, to uh, to kick off this episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. Hello. Hi, this is Isabel. I love your show. Um, Just a little bit of a comment uh, regarding the 9-11 show. Uh, Terrific stories. 
Uh, one thing caught my attention was the hosts were talking about, you know, being afraid of the elderly because you don't know what their past is, so to speak. And I just wanted to say that I have been a hospice volunteer and I've worked several years as a paid worker uh, with the elderly and assisted living. And for me, I've really had to learn to put kind of put with no offense to anybody, but kind of put that judgment zone uh, kind of leave that outside the door so that I could do my work appropriately because really at that stage of life people really don't need to be judged for what they've done in the past and probably the sweetness you talk about the old people is the fact that they've made peace they've learned uh, they've had a chance to reflect upon their lives and they have many of them not all but many have forgiven themselves and they've forgiven others, and they've learned hard lessons from their mistakes. So that's probably the sweetness that you see. Um, and every every single person, young, old, no matter anybody's history, everybody deserves to be treated at face value with the respect and the dignity that we all are deeply loved by our Creator. Okay, so I just wanted to add that little bit. Thanks for a great show. always look forward to it. Keep them coming. Thanks so much. Bye now. And I think too, but and at the same point, if if you're a mean, bad old person, I think you're deserving of that level of respect too, just as you were if you're a mean, bad young person. You know, wouldn't you agree? I agree, and she's right. I shouldn't just blanketly be kind of leery of all old people I think that honestly may go back to that experience I had the Halloween trick-or-treating in sure. the nursing home that was that was and I I hate because my mom listens to the show I don't want to blame her it's not her fault it was very good yes, it is. but that is one of the things that I think of and and you're absolutely right I shouldn't I shouldn't do that and I will try and work on that I'm not mean to old people I don't want people thinking that no, I just not. sometimes am a little I guess more reserved around them I think it's it's just an it's an environment thing it, you know it's if if you especially something where if you were little and you were brought up around a lot of old people um, especially ones you didn't know too you kind of naturally have a little bit more, I guess, comfortableness around it. And if, if you weren't, yeah, it can be pretty much a foreign environment, you know? I mean, it, the same would be true of any group of people that you're not around. If it's suddenly this whole group of people that look very different and feel very different to you, it can be uncomfortable. It's just human nature. And it's not that you don't like the people. It's just that it, it anything where it's out of a comfort zone makes people uncomfortable. Well, and it just takes kind of time and training to get comfortable in those environments. And I would say outside of my grandparents and the occasional times that I was able to visit with my great-grandparents, that was probably the the most I was around elderly people. Sure. So I really didn't, yeah. you know, know any. I had a lot of uh, going up and down the nursing home aisles uh, or, or the hallways as like a four-year-old helping handing out the uh, ice cream cups. Mm-hmm. So... I think I just saw a lot more of it, you know, and I remember some of that. I mean, it was, it was kind of scary as a, you know, to a little kid, you know, cause it's, there's, there's some that are very much with it in there and there's some that are, you know, it's, it's sad and it is what it is, you know, and to a little kid, it can be kind of scary. So I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you for your call. 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802 with your real ghost 
stories. This uh, first letter here comes in from Joyce. Joyce writes in, to begin my story, I have to clarify that this isn't really my story. This is more of a family history. In 1939, my great-grandfather, who was an Arkansas moonshiner, left his house one morning on the Black River Bottoms to go to his still. He did this every day, so that was not an unusual occurrence. Later that morning, his wife, my great-grandmother, left the house to go to town to buy supplies. They lived way down in the bottoms, so going to town for supplies was a major event that was done only a couple of times a month. My great-grandfather took her son with her to help uh, load the supplies into the wagon. Yes, a wagon. Am I saying wagon right? Wagon? You're saying the I'm, way people from Wisconsin say My it. northern friends were like, oh yeah. Everyone else was like, a what? I think everybody knows you're talking about a small or a uh, thing with wheels on it. Wagon? Wagon. Wagon? Is yeah. That kind of I don't know that wagon? I'm right either. You've wagon? got the Texas way to say it or the Wisconsin way to say it. When they reached a certain point on their way to town, my uncle jumped down from the wagon and said she was going to visit his father at the still and he would meet my great-grandmother on the other side. The road looped here and my great-grandfather's still was located almost dead center of the woods around which it looped. My uncle was walking down the path towards the still. He saw his father coming back to him with an odd expression on his face. My uncle greeted his father and asked if something was wrong. My great-grandfather simply responded, Take care of your ma. As he passed, my uncle on his way back to the house. My uncle watched him disappear down the path before turning the head onto the other side of the woods where he expected to be met by his mother in the wagon. As approached... As he approached the still, he saw someone leaned up against a tree next to the still who was apparently sleeping. As he got closer, he recognized the person as being his father. He ran up to him, and sure enough, my grandfather was dead. My uncle ran fast, as fast as he could through the woods, and brought his mother back to the still, and eventually my great-grandfather's lifeless body was removed from the woods and buried. No one ever believed my uncle's story, but he went to his grave sharing and swearing it was the truth. That was on my uncle's side of the family. In 1930, my father's great-grandfather had a heart attack and passed away on October 31st. It was an unexpected death, but not necessarily unusual. On July 1st of the following year, 1931, my great-great-grandmother, his wife, came to the kitchen from where she had been walking in the garden and announced to her daughter and great-daughter that she would not be with them for the 4th. My great-grandmother, her daughter, started, uh, startled by her mother's declaration, asked her where in the world she thought she would be. My great-grandmother responded that she would be with John, her husband. My great-grandmother, concerned that her mother had lost her mind, asked what made her think such a thing. And my great-great-grandmother simply said, Your father just walked, me, walked with me in the garden and told me so. I have no idea where the conversation went from there, but on July 3rd, 1931, my great-great-grandmother had a heart attack and died. Just as she predicted, she was not with her family on the 4th. Finally, in the late 1980s, my sister was awakened in the middle of the night by her husband's stepmother. This was especially disturbing since my sis- uh, to my sister because the woman was in the hospital at the time, some 50 miles away, suffering from results of a very vigorous round of chemotherapy. The woman, whose names I do not remember, leaned over and whispered to my sister, please take good care of Victor, and then she left the room. There was no phone at the farm where my sister lived at the time, but as she leaped from bed, intent on following her mother-in-law, she saw headlights pulling into the driveway. She knew instantly that whoever was pulling into the driveway was bringing bad news. 
And so it was, my father had driven out to let my sister and brother-in-law know that his stepmom had died. My mother was visiting my house in June of 1996 when he and I got into a deep discussion about these events. We found it more than just a little interesting that similar occurrences had taken place on both sides of the family line and that yet another occurrence had happened to my sister involving a person to whom she was not related by blood. After we talked about it for a while, I turned to my father and said, Dad, I want you to know that assuming you will die before me, you are under no obligation to come and tell me when it's my time. You don't even have to come and tell me when it's your time, because if you do, you're liable to have to take me back with you uh, on the spot. We had a good laugh at that, and he promised not to visit me after he died, even though he thought it was pretty cool. A week later, my father had a heart attack and died. That was the last conversation I ever had with my father. For the rest of my life, I'll regret telling him not to come and visit me after he died. Had I known how much I would miss him once he was gone, I would have insisted that he come back and see me often. Do you think things happen for a reason sometimes, and maybe that sure. was meant to be one of their last conversations? That they just happened to kind of conjure itself up like that? Well, sure. kind of make light of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard about older people when... And most of the time when you hear about it, it's when they have dementia. Yeah. Seeing people that have long been gone and, sure. and saying they're telling me, you know, yeah. that it's it's getting close. So I, I, you know, I think there's something to that. I really do. Yeah, I, that's interesting because when, when there is dementia involved, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. You can look at it as maybe they are seeing the people. Maybe they are not seeing the people and it's just their brain, you know, kind of pulling these memories up of people and it's a comforting thought to them. When the people involved do not have any dementia at all and they're plain Jane healthy, at least as we know to the rest of the world, and they're telling us that their dead loved ones are coming back and telling them they're going to die, that's a whole other story. That's that's scary. Here's but but here's what I'm thinking. A lot of people with dementia also suffer depression because of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I would think that even if they didn't suffer depression, just the dimension themselves might make them a target for paranormal activity. Yeah, because we've talked about that in the past where there's been paranormal things that have been going on in people's world and there's depression involved or things of that nature involved at that moment in time. So, yeah, I mean, I would think that you could very well be you know, more susceptible to that when you're in that state, young or old or whatever age. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that make a lot of sense. Do you think older people like children are more susceptible to seeing paranormal? I do. I think it's interesting because I think there's there's the and the theory goes and I, I guess I kind of subscribe to it is you're closer to the each side when you're really young and you're closer to it when you're really old. In the middle, not so much. And that's why you have a lot of cases. I mean, half of the stories we get are this happened to me when I was seven. This happened to me sure. when I was 13. Um, or if it's a, someone telling a story of someone else, it's this happened to so-and-so when they were, you know, 80. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we do get plenty of present time, they're 33 years old, but there's a lot more that are focusing on the beginning and the end. Okay. So that's my theory on it. Yeah. When my grandpa was... was uh, going through the last couple of weeks, he was saying that he saw his, uh, my grandma, uh, which was his second wife, 
and his first wife hanging out, running down a like a field together. You know, and then then he saw a topless woman in his, in his room too. So I and that was neither of them. I don't know who the topless woman was, but uh, <laughs> he was seeing some stuff. Yeah. So I don't know, Grandpa, what you were seeing, but that was I mean that was interesting because there I mean the my my grandma and his first wife. That's interesting to say that that he said that he saw them together. They had both passed on uh, very different times, like almost thirty forty years apart. Right. Um. So, yeah, very, uh, very interesting. It is very interesting. Phone number to call if you have a real ghost story, 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802. Hey, are you involved in putting on a haunted attraction? Do you get involved in the, uh, the haunted house world at all? Uh, are you using hauntedhousetvcommercials.com to help you promote uh, your haunted events? Mm-hmm. commercials.com creates the best haunted house TV ads that drive customers to haunted attractions. And these are some creepy-ass commercials. It's not the type where, you, you know, you see, oh, we took the, uh, the handicam and we got some people with masks. Now, these things are pretty creepy. They use state-of-the-art graphics, the best audio and visual special effects. HauntedHouseTVCommercials.com will make your haunt stand out from the crowd, which means higher attendance and even uh, many more people showing up to it likely uh, than before. It means more profits to you if you're involved in that uh, haunted attraction. So what do you do? You go to HauntedHouseTVCommercials.com. Click on the Contact Us box for a free quote on the Haunted House TV commercial today. Mention that you heard of this uh, uh, this message about them at Real Ghost Stories Online, online.com, and Get $200 off the price of production of your Haunted House TV commercial. It's hauntedhousetvcommercials.com. On with today's program. 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call in with your real ghost story. In fact, let's go to another ghost story caller. Hello. When I was in college, um, I worked in a various job that I could just to make some extra money. I worked in the student union. I also worked what we called night desk, and basically it was a poor man security guard. You would just sit at a desk from 10 o'clock to about 3 o'clock in the morning, and you would just um, sign people in as they came in uh, to the dorm. You would just check IDs and sign guests in, and um, you would also probably just sit there and do your homework as well. Uh, Well, one night I was sitting there, and it was a Tuesday night. I know it was very, it was a week night. And I know it was about after 12.30. And no one had come in for a long time. And where I sat was right in the front lobby of my dorm. Uh, this was upstate New York. I went to a state school. And right to the left of me was two bathrooms that, there was a men's bathroom and a ladies' bathroom that no one ever used uh, because, you know, quite honestly, people were coming in and out so quickly no one really ever stopped to use the bathroom there. Um, But nonetheless, they were a part of the original design of the building, and they were still functional, but like I said, no one actually used them. Um, So that was to the immediate left of me. Right in front of me was the front door that someone would have to come in to enter the building. There was no other entrance into the building. And then to the right of me, was the elevators and the walkway to um, to get to the elevators and the stairwell and directly behind me I would sit up against was the RA office uh, the resident resident assistance office um, and they would usually leave sometime like around 10 10:30 at night 
um, shortly after we, I got there. Well, this particular night, um, I was sitting doing my homework, and I needed to get something from the office. And what they usually would do is they would lock it, and but if I needed to get in, they would leave the key right in the window, which was right behind me, um, if you can kind of picture that. So what had happened was I stood up, went to the door of the office, realized that it was locked, came back around the corner to get the key that was sitting right behind me in the window, and when I came back around, I heard a water sound, like a rushing water sound. I kind of ignored it at first, and then I, and then I realized that there was actually something happening. So I was kind of listening around to what it could be, and realized it was coming from the bathroom that was right next to me. And so um, I went into the bathroom, the men's bathroom, and the lights are off, but the faucet was running. And I thought it was totally, totally bizarre. Uh, I knew no one had come in, um, and no one had been in the bathroom all night. Um, so I turned the water off. I called my roommate to come down, and I told him the story, and we had kind of a laugh about it. Well, anyway, come to find out, and this is where it gets really bizarre, come to find out that a RA who had lived in the building many years ago, I believe back in the 80s or early 90s, um, unfortunately committed suicide in the building. Uh, and he actually hung himself in the stairwell that was actually right behind where I was uh, stationed. Um, and I had also got, found out that I was not the only RA that this had happened to. Um, so that's my ghost story. Um, it's true, uh, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, but um, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Wow, that's really unfortunate. When when people do commit suicide, I I think that's almost like a guaranteed haunting, don't you? Almost, you know, because you you know if that occurs, there's you know there's unfinished business. I think within that person within themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and then very likely also systemic into other relationships, and it's like that's still unfortunately. I think a lot of cases continues on until it's resolved. Well, and and the energy, you know, the person that ends up finding the, yeah. that person, you know, that's that's gonna leave that's there for a mark there yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, and this is not relating to his story, but it's something that um, where he he said, um, you know, someone found, you know, that individual who was dead. It made me think of the previous story that we just talked about with the. Uh, in the 1930s with the mm-hmm. old man in the woods that was found dead against the tree. There you go, haunted tree. Okay. We've talked about this before. We're, this is where this is, we're going back. This is, if you're a new listener, we've I talked know. about um, uh, furniture and furniture that um, is purchased brand new but then has haunting things going on with it. And originally we were talking about the uh, the one, uh, the haunted bunk bed case uh, in Horicon, Wisconsin from like the 80s. Um, and we were like, well, what if we, it was brand new? How did, you know, was the wood haunted? How would the wood be haunted? And there you go. Guy dies against the tree. Haunted tree. Ends up getting chopped down years later using a bunk bed. Or whatever. You know, it's a far fetch, but people die in the woods by trees. Okay. Um... I, I can see where you're coming from with that. 
I would think more so like hanging and stuff than just a heart attack by a tree. But yeah, um, I'm thinking like that scene from 300 where there's all those bodies up in the tree. Yeah, I could see that. Or what you know, or what back way back to um, you know even you know uh, you know Native American times and just tribal wars and things of that nature. You know, when some of these trees, you know, some of these trees that end up being used for lumber are, you know, hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's battles that occurred, you know, within a lot of these woods. These trees probably saw a lot of it. So what may seem like peaceful wooded areas is used for lumbering these days may have not been so peaceful at another point in time, documented or undocumented. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've thought about reclaimed wood from different buildings and stuff being used. You know, that's kind yeah. of a popular thing right yeah. now is reclaimed wood. Yeah, yeah. And so technically the item may be new, but what it's being used. And like there was down in um, the town of Caldwell, which is south of here. It mm-hmm. was on the Chisholm Trail. It was the original stop in Kansas for the Cowboys. Very much a cowboy crazy town. And there was an old hotel there. And when they tore that hotel down, they found over 70 pounds of lead in the walls, in the wood, from the shootouts, from all the gunfights. Wow. So tell me, if somebody said, hey, I'm just going to take a board from this old hotel, tell me that's not going to carry some residual energy. What do they do with all the lead? I don't know. I'm not sure if it's in the museum. There are museums here in this area about the Chisholm Trail. Um, And I'm not sure if it's all there. I know there's a marker there stating that the... The hotel was torn down and all that lead was found. I'm guessing the lead would probably also be holding some energy as well, especially if it like had gone through someone before entering the wall. Yeah, exactly. Wow. 855-853-4802 is the phone number. 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost stories with us. Or just go to the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Please remember to give us some stars, love, wherever you may be listening to us. Helps us grow the show every single week. Hey, somebody commented on the uh, the crow problem that I was having. It says, if you're having crow problems, they may be targeting you for shooting at them. And by the way, I did shoot at them with a BB gun. I did not kill any of them, just so I don't get more hate mail about... Why do you bring this up? Because people comment on this. So this is... Because this person actually raises an interesting point, because they are very smart birds. It says, they are really social and smart. They can remember faces and experiences for three years and over. They also communicate a lot vocally with their family and extended family. (laughs) Great. We're going to be plagued. It's going to be the birds. It says, you have like an avian Hatfield and McCoy thing going on. I love that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I love that. I have not shot at them since actually we talked about it. So um, I've kind of given up on the crow problem. I think I'm not going to win that battle. You're going to get a shit storm of new hate mail. Yeah. Now. Well, no, I'm not. I I, I stopped. So there. I, I And I never killed one to begin with. But they are very smart. They can use tools. And apparently they have memories up to three years. Wow. And they can communicate with their family and friends. They could like make an army. Okay, so how effective are scarecrows then? Are they just chintzy decorations? They're just yeah, they're just chintzy decorations. Okay, I think scarecrows. I think they laugh at at scarecrows. Should we take ours down? No, it scares it scares other birds. Okay, but not crows. Crows are right there. They're you know they would like disassemble the scarecrow and use it for a nest. That's true. So there you go. I just thought I'd share up that little nugget of information on the intelligence of the crow. If you only had a brain. What do you mean by that? Where are you going with that? You know, the <laughs> scarecrow sings that on Wizard of, of Oz. Yes, I know. Uh-huh. 
don't shoot at the crows. <laughs> Phone number to call is 855-853-4802. Next letter comes into us from Lindley. Lindley says, as does every letter start or so it seems, mine shall start the same way. I was never a believer in the paranormal or supernatural. To me, it was just gimmicks that we fictionalize, such as movies, books, games, TV shows. You saw them on. Of course, this didn't stop me from watching ghost hunting shows. However, I watched them to debunk things, not to prove to myself that they exist. The reason I tell you this beforehand is to give you a basic idea as to how I am when weird things occur. I'm the first person to suggest an alternative reason behind things that go bump in the night. I am in the literal sense of them a skeptic. What happened to me, however, on December 28th, 2012, to this day, sends shivers down my spine. I'm reluctant to tell many people what I experienced, but I do hope that perhaps it will make sense to you. I'll apologize for the lengthy intro, but I feel it will help the story and uh, make this event more uh, make sense in uh, the end. In quotations, he's losing a lot of weight. To this day, those words that my sister spoke to me still haunt me. It was hard to imagine that only four months prior, my grandfather was a spitting image of health. Sure, he needed a walker to get around, but he was doing fine. He ate well. He could still take care of himself by getting ready uh, or, or uh, other means. And appeared to be getting along fine after the transition to a senior living center, not a nursing home by any means, but a community where uh, much more independent life is going on. After all of that, that changed, however, when not a month into their stay, my grandmother slipped and hurt her hip. From there, it was obvious that she required more supervision that the center could give, and thus, a move to a nursing home began. That was four months ago, and now my sister is standing outside of the place telling me to come more often that he wasn't doing well. Losing my mom's parents at an early age, her mother was the last to go when I was two. My father's parents were all I had left, and they watched me grow up over the years. I remember that as of late, I hadn't been able to see them very often as work had kept me away from my family. I lived an hour away from my hometown, and so visits were very hard. Walking into that room, however, and seeing them together, I felt a strong punch delivered to my stomach. My sister's words could never have prepared me for the sight I was met with. There in the bed lay the man who built my first and only swing set when I was four years old. He had to have easily lost 60 pounds since the move four months ago. I gripped my fiance's hand tightly to my uh, tightly in fear. My grandfather had just turned 91 in February. Another thing we had in common as that was my birthday month as well. So this wasn't too surprising, but it was not something I was ready for. Over the next few months, my fiance and I came down as much as we could to see them, but it wasn't anywhere near the amount of time we should have spent with them. The condition of my grandfather just got worse with each passing visit, not just physically, but also mentally, too. Soon, all of that left, uh, all that was once left of the once great man who flew planes in World War II was skin and bones. He needed help even doing the simplest of things. To sit up there were two nurses that needed to help him. Uh, with that, help him getting dressed, even going to the bathroom. He couldn't do it alone. All privacy was gone, and each and every time I had to fight back tears and smile for him. Eventually, because I was working so often, he began to forget me as well, often appearing confused when I'd hug him hello and goodbye, never being able to say my name, and just as quickly, other memories began to fade as well. Soon, it was hard for him to remember where he was, who he was with, what he did that day. Then he just began to sleep longer. He would always be sleeping when we visited, so 
we'd keep it down so not to disturb him. My grandmother was a pillar of six months. She never seemed worried or scared. She hid it very well for us, along with my dad. Eventually, it got harder and harder to visit as I worked at a small hotel in my hometown, in my town, my fiance and I lived in at the front, uh, my fiance and I lived in at the front desk. We have very limited staff, even with fewer people willing to show up for work. I had to miss out on Thanksgiving with them that year, and I had to cover a shift for someone who didn't show up. It's something I can never forget even now. I was, however, able to make it for an hour or so on Christmas, but once again, I had to work because no one else would. I'll never forget that day. It was one of the major holidays, so our media family got together and celebrated. My fiancé and I arrived early to chat with everyone, as I had to leave at 2 to be back at work by 3. While munching on what nursing homes passed off as Christmas dinner, I watched my grandfather quietly as my mom, who worked in a nursing home for some of her life, helped him eat. It was the hardest thing for me to ever see, as he could no longer enjoy coffee and pumpkin pie like he used to. Things were too hot, too cold, too hard to chew. I wanted to break down and cry for him. Instead, I helped my father set up a table for my grandmother to play on when she was lonely, and this provided a helpful distraction. That day, I left for work waving goodbye to everyone, and once my grandfather was fast asleep in his bed, every fiber in me was screaming to give him a hug, but with his memory of me fading or even long gone, I was afraid of how he would react. Inside did something... To this day, I regret with all my heart. I turned around and walked out the door. I'm sure you're wondering what all this has to do with a ghost story. Allow me to explain. On December 28th, three days later, I was off to work and decided to catch up on some sleep. At 2 p.m., lying down, my fiancé was already off at work and I was alone completely out. It takes quite a bit to wake me up, so you can imagine my surprise when something made me stir at around 4 Slightly dazed, I looked around as I felt I can only describe as a medium amount of my hair settling into place on my head. I looked towards the fan and I had in the room and it wasn't on. The window wasn't open, nor did the heat kick on as it makes an obvious sound when running. Confused, I went back to sleep, shrugging it off as my fiancé coming home during work, which he sometimes did to get his soda and kissing me on the head. Upon his return at 8 p.m., I questioned him about it, and he merely shook his head and denied having even been home during that time. I thought nothing of this action until an hour or so later, my mother calls me up. It's then he said that she said that my grandfather had passed away a few hours previous, and they were waiting to tell my grandmother of the event. I shall reinstate once again, I am the very definition of a skeptic, and I searched back in my memory repeatedly to find something in anything logical that it could have been that made my hair stand. I came up with nothing. Something inside me was screaming that there was no logical explanation for that event. That I already knew what it was. I spoke my mind to my fiancé, and to this day we both agree. My grandfather knew how much regret I would have for not being there as much as I should have, and that just before he passed, he gave me one last pat on the head with his with his message in mind. Don't blame yourself. I understand how hard it was to visit. I still love you. There you go. That's a good story. 
The phone number to call is 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802 with your real ghost story. Or you can always just write into us on our website at Real Ghost Stories Online, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can call or email. We absolutely love to get your real ghost stories. We have another one, another letter. This one uh, starts out, Tony, I have a few stories for you, but decided to start with this one. I would appreciate it if you would uh, not use my name with the story. I have a unique name, and anyone in my town would easily figure it out which property and person this was about. So don't worry, we won't use your name. I don't even think I have the name on the sheet, so <laughs> I think we're good. It says, here's my tale. Several years ago, I moved into a farmhouse that had been built in 1901 that was on a 100-acre former dairy. It was a big, drafty two-story with a sealed-off attic, making it actually a a three-story home with a basement. One other smaller home was in the immediate backyard, presumably built as uh, in-law quarters. The home was owned by my godparents, who had bought it when the dairy went out of business so they could subdivide it in the future. By that time, they moved in, and the home had been sitting empty for several years. This home sits pretty much in the center of the property off the main highway, so the closest neighbors are about a half a mile in each direction. From the first day we opened the big house up, there were little things that happened that just seemed odd. My godfather and I were standing on the massive, covered front porch when we both heard what sounded like someone inside the house say my name. Thinking we must have left on a radio or something. We had been cleaning. We were wore out. It was starting to get dark, and we were just ready to leave. My godfather said not to worry about it, and we turned it off the next day when we came back. The next day when I arrived, there were several workmen there, painting the interior and fixing the old double-hung windows so they could be opened. It was pandemonium with workmen in and out for the next several days, and we completely forgot the incident with the radio being left on. It wasn't until several months later that it was mentioned again. When moving day came, on a beautiful, crisp fall morning, my godfather arrived at the house before me to check on a few things. He was standing on the front porch when I got there with a U-Haul truck trying to open the door. He said he couldn't get his key to work and had been waiting there for me. Since the painters had been in and out using the key, we thought this was really odd, but didn't spend too much time dwelling on it. Since my key opened the massive old mahogany doors up, we were able to get up and go about the business of moving in. Nonetheless, he was concerned about it enough to call a locksmith to work on the lock. Since it was a really old lock and built into the door, he wanted to make sure it wasn't falling apart. Of course, the locksmith never did find anything wrong with it. He even remarked about how well-made it was and how they just didn't make things the way they used to. We spent the rest of the day moving stuff in and putting things away. The main floor had three bedrooms, and I wanted to use them as I didn't really want to be chasing kids up and downstairs all day. So we put an old armoire uh, in front of the front staircase so the kids couldn't get up there, and I locked the door to the back staircase. The attic access was located on the second floor directly over the back porch, which had been converted to a laundry room sometime in the 40s. The stairs to the attic were still there, although there were more of a ladder than stairs, but someone had nailed a piece of plywood over the entrance so you couldn't get in there. Presumably, we assumed to keep from having to heat and cool the place or to keep rodents from coming into the house through the roof. My six-year-old son loved the place, lots of nooks and crannies to explore, and he tried like crazy to get me to open up the upstairs so he could go roam around and play. 
I couldn't move the large armoire, so the only way upstairs was through the back staircase, which is extremely narrow and steep. I could just picture him tumbling down them, so try as he might, I wouldn't give him the keys and ended up hiding them just in case. We had been in the house for about a month when an older couple moved into the back house. I loved the country and the solitude, but I was never so happy to have a neighbor as when they moved in. Kids spent half the week with me and the other half of the week with their dad, and since I no longer had rent to pay, I was able to quit one of my jobs and find myself at home more. The place creeped me out when the kids weren't there. I just assumed it was because I missed my kids, but now looking back, I realized it was the house. There was something sinister about it, and I eventually brought my great big Doberman from my ex-husband's house in there to live with us. My dog was never fearful of anything, but he wouldn't go near the laundry room and would sometimes out of the door the back stairs and growl and bark when i told my godfather about this he said there might be a squirrel or mice in the walls and properly sent out an exterminator while i brought home a couple barn cats to tend to any rodent problems one evening after i picked the kids up from having been at their dad's for two days we walked in and my obedient house trained doberman had peed right next to the front door. On top of that, he had scratched the back of one of the doors, which is really out of character for him. He literally bolted out of the front door when I opened it and took the kids and I a full 10 minutes to drag him back to the house. We finally did get him in. I couldn't help but notice how cold the house was and set off to look for an open window. What I found instead chilled me to the bone. The door to the staircase, the one that had a skeleton key lock, was standing wide open and there was a cold blast of air coming from the second floor. The old staircase was dark and had solid paneled walls on both sides. When you got to the top, you immediately turned left and entered the back second floor hallway. I looked up the stairs, couldn't see anything. It was pitch black and went off to find the key to relock the door. It was right where I had left it, so I assumed... The lock just failed, and the wind somehow blew the door open. Either way, I wasn't taking any chances, and after locking the door, I pushed an old steam trunk in front of the door just to be safe and the safe side and decided to wait till the next morning when it was daylight to take a look around. That night, the kids slept with me in my room along with the dog since we just couldn't seem to get the house to warm up. The next morning, I got up early to find the open window upstairs and had to be letting all the cold air... Uh, in from the night before. I went all through the second floor with my son, checked every window and every vent. All vents were closed and all the windows locked. All I could think of now was that there must be an attic window open and the draft was coming in through there. I didn't have the tools at the time or uh, have the ability of removing the lumber from the attic door, so I just put it on my list of things to do and eventually forgot about it. Sometime after the second month, As the cold winter really set in, I started to smell this awful pungent smell coming from the basement and nothing we could warm, uh, nothing we could do could warm up the house. We sent uh, the septic crew down to the basement to see if the septic was backed up, but they couldn't find anything wrong. Basement was dry as a bone and the septic tank was pumped out, even though it was almost empty. Smell got so strong we couldn't stand to be in the house and determined that something, rodent, varmint, or like that must have crawled into the walls and died. Again, we sent the exterminator back through the house where he looked in every place conceivable but could find nothing. I started spending the nights at my folks' house and just coming back in the morning. When spring came, I could open the house up all day. The smell eventually went away. There were cold spots all over the house, but mainly in the back bedroom that my son used. 
could be a warm summer day in his room, which is over the basement, was always cold. Most nights he slept in the living room, and unless he had friends over, he played in the den instead of his room. One day, he told me he could sleep in his room because of... He couldn't sleep in his room because of all the noise down there pointing at the basement. This was an old house with old plumbing, and the bulk of it was beneath him, so I just wrote it off as noisy pipes. It wasn't until... He was an adult that he told me it sounded like people talking below him at night. Finally, as the summer heat rolled in, we started seeing less and less of the older couple in the home behind me. Till one afternoon, I heard a car pull in, saw the lady leave with someone, and doing my housework. When about 20 minutes later, I heard what sounded like a car backfiring on the highway out front. I didn't think about it again for another half hour. So when I heard the car pull in, we saw someone dropping off my neighbor lady. It appeared she had been out shopping. A few minutes later, I heard a horrible pounding on my back door, followed by, Call the police! Call the police! I ran to let my neighbor lady in, and she saw, and she was hysterical, telling me she had just come home from the grocery store and found her husband had shot himself. Later, after the sheriff and coroner had left with her husband's body, she was waiting in my kitchen for her daughter to come pick her up, and she told me that ever since they moved in that house, he had not been himself. He was extremely depressed, but she didn't think he was suicidal. She left that night. Her kids came a few days later and collected her stuff, but I never saw her after the funeral. That was enough for me. I couldn't stay there after that and stay with my folks until I was able to find another house. My godfather had a priest come out and bless the property. We closed up both houses, and he eventually sold the whole thing to a winery. I drove past the place from time to time because it's on the main highway. The back of the house was gutted to make offices, and the main house was remodeled into a tasting room and gift shop. Very little of the original structure was saved. However, I was able to pilfer those mahogany front doors and the stained glass windows before they tore it all apart. I've never gone back to the property myself, although my godparents went for the grand opening of the winery and reported to me nothing unusual had happened. I do, I did do some research on the place from the safety of my new house in the town and found that the man that built it in 1901 died there in the 1960s and for about 15 years it was a rental property that no one stayed in for very long. When my godfather bought it, it had been empty for years and I was the last person to live in it. I've always loved old homes, but I've always been afraid of that. Yeah, and that's not a, a good thing. I mean, it, it sounds like there was definitely a haunting. I'd be interested to hear what other things the the neighbors, the, the elderly couple were experiencing. You know, when I when she told us that, um, I immediately thought about the house next to your parents that you talked about. Oh, with, yeah. With the two suicides there. Very different points in time. Mm-hmm. And this bad energy and that can be a real plaguing thing yeah you know it can be not uh, not a good story if you have a good ghost story or a bad ghost story or just a dark disturbing ghost story it's it's what we do phone number to call is 855-853-4802 855-853-4802 you can always write into us on our website at realghoststoriesonline.com we'd absolutely love to hear your real ghost story. Be sure to give us some love on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, some stars, some ratings. It helps us grow the show and gets us a better show for you every single week right here. So until next time, I'm Tony Bruski for Jenny Bruski saying thank you for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. <laughs>